uh, Elder Turner is going to introduce our speaker this morning, and then he might want you to stay standing for the reading of Scripture. All right, just a quick word of introduction here as a brother that uh, I think a lot of you here know. Brother David Hale used to worship with us here before the Lord called him to the uh, area in which he pastors uh, an assembly down in Lewisburg. And we uh, are thankful and honored to have him come today and to proclaim the word and pray for him as well as pray for ourselves that in hearing we might hear from the Lord himself. So, brother, you come and deliver the word. Yes, no, can you hear me? I need some bobbleheads, okay? Yes, no, something. Okay. You actually may be seated uh, at this time. You can turn to Mark. Chapter 7. We're actually going to be looking out of Mark and also Matthew. Once you've found that, I want your undivided attention. Everybody's got, got, got their... Okay, good. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Has Christ captivated your heart? Has He ever broken your heart? you come to church this morning, or have you come to worship? If our heart is in a saving relationship with Christ the King and God our Holy Father, then we have come together this morning to do the impossible, worship. Because all that is involved in worship is supernatural. It's spiritual. So what kind of heart preparation were you in, engaged in before you came through those doors? Before you presented yourself in the sight of God here this morning, what have you, have you sought the face of your Father? 
You see, it's not the act of worship, and you guys know that, okay? But it's the heart attitude. Where is your heart? Man looks what? On the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart, right? And understand that I am so grateful, dear saints of God, to be here and speak the mysteries of Christ to you, but do not misunderstand. I am sent here this morning to be real and genuine because we're all going to stand before the Almighty God. We're either going to stand naked or we're going to stand clothed in His righteousness, one or the other. You have to understand that. You see, my intention is to be real with God, real with myself, and real with you. There's a danger here this morning. Other than a lost sinner, someone who is an unbeliever, yes, dangling over the fires of hell, one heartbeat away from condemnation, other than a lost sinner before God, I or any other man who stands before you and speaks God's word is in the most dangerous position on earth. It should make more men tremble. Why do I say that? Because I am speaking to another man's wife. Did you catch that? I think some of you did. Do you understand that the New Testament presents Jesus Christ as the royal bridegroom on a long journey, and His church is His royal bride? I've heard it explained this way by seasoned man of God, and it struck home to me, but understand that the one sent to preach the mysteries and the glories of Christ is one who has been given the high privilege by Christ the King to go speak to His royal bride, the church, about how wonderful her King is, how beautiful her King is, how precious her King is, and all the majesty and the majestic work that He has done for His bride. Therefore, the one who speaks to Christ's bride dare not draw the attention to himself, nor draw it away from Christ. Any such attention that draws one soul away from Christ, spiritual adultery. Is that too real for you? Is that too genuine for you? Let's look at the Scriptures, what it says. Husbands, you know, you know, that there are very few men within your inner circle that you feel comfortable with to talk to your wife when you're not around. So it is with Christ and His bride. Now with that, that I've said, I know it's kind of a different introduction, so to speak, but pray for me, for I am on dangerous ground because the gospel of Christ is so good. It is so wonderful. 
It is so beautiful. For some strange, unknown reason, through the weakness of the flesh, there is always a danger for the man of God to get caught up in pride. Is that too real for you? Even when the minister is not aware, there is a false piety, false humility, that lurks around the back door of the man's mind that he's in battle with. And the same question applies to me as it does you. Where is your heart? Has Christ captivated your heart? Therefore, let's be real and genuine because we are in desperate need of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to worship Christ, our King, and God, our Father, this morning. We cannot do it on our own, and we dare not offer up strange fire to God, doing it in the flesh. God help us. Now I ask you to bow your head and join me in prayer as we pray for one another because you're just as responsible to hear as I am to speak. Our Father in heaven, your name be hallowed this morning. And we pray, O Holy Father, that your kingdom would come and show forth the glories of the majestic King, our Savior. I pray as we look into your word, that your spirit would be the teacher. I must decrease and you must increase, O Lord. Get me out of the way and show forth the beauty of yourself. I pray, O Holy Father, that your Spirit would blow up on us and that you would save your people, sanctify your people, yes, convict your people, comfort your people with these words. And I ask it in the most holy name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. We are in Mark chapter 7, and we're just going to do a running commentary through some things. I don't have a big outline. I just want to share the, the heart of Christ with you. Mark chapter 7, verse 24, it says, And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. Now this is very interesting. Because the general reading of this, we would get the idea that the Lord Jesus had a specific intent of trying to hide. Okay? But somehow he could not do it. That's what the scripture says. You know, he could not be hid. Now, since Christ Jesus is the Son of God, and if he wanted to hide himself, don't you think he could do that? I mean, really. I mean, he's the Son of God, isn't he? Well, in Luke chapter 4, the Jews got so angry with Christ that they thrust Him out of the city to the brow of the hill that they might, what, throw Him over. 
But it says in verse 30, But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. In John chapter 8, King Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And then the Jews took up stones to stone him. But it says in verse 59, listen, But Jesus hid himself. And how did he hide himself? He went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. He them just like he parted the Red Sea and he hid himself right within arm's length. If he wants to hide himself, he will hide himself. So my point is that when you read something like, but he could not be hid in verse 24, it doesn't mean that the Lord Jesus was trying to do something and couldn't accomplish it, all right? But rather, this is the first impression of his disciples, okay? As we will see, it wasn't Christ's intention to be hid, but rather this is how his disciples perceived it. Verse 25 and 26. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation. And she besought, or besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her. In verse 25 and 26, we have a woman, not a man, but a woman. Now, what kind of woman is she? Well, she's a Greek woman, a Syrophoenician by nationality, which means that this woman had no Hebrew blood going through her veins. She was not Jewish in any way. What also do we learn about this Greek woman? Well, in verse 25, that she heard him, heard of him, okay? But it doesn't tell us how, when, or where she heard. But the most important thing is that she had ears to hear and a heart to receive the truth she heard about Him. Well, what this Greek, non-Jewish woman heard translated into action. Alright? What do we find her doing at the end of verse 25? Well, she came and fell at Jesus' feet. Right? Which is what? An act of worship. Now this is huge because this Greek woman is worshiping the Lord Jesus in a way that was not common to a Greek. She did not see Jesus as one of the many Greek gods. Zeus, Poseidon, Apollo, all the, no, not at all. We find this Greek woman acknowledging the majesty and worthiness of the Lord Jesus. The Jewish Messiah, this Greek woman, this Gentile woman, this non-Jewish woman, is at the feet of Jesus begging for His power to release her daughter from the oppression of a devil or a demon. Now notice the response of the Lord to her in verse 27. Now when the Lord Jesus said, let the children first be filled. Okay, you're going to see that. But Jesus said unto her, let the children first be filled. For it is not meat, it's not fit, it's not proper, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it unto the dogs. What the implication here is that the Jewish children eat first before the dogs get to eat, alright? And that's how His disciples understood that. Also let me point out that the New Testament word here for dog is not the word used for a Gentile dog, okay? 
as the Jews would so often call uh, uh, non-Jewish persons. They would call them Gentile dogs. This word dog is not like that. It's not the junkyard dog, the, or, or it's not even the same word dog that Peter uses in 2 Peter 2.22 when he talks about how a dog returns to his vomit. Different kind of dog here. The word dog here means little dog. Your puppy. Okay? The family pet, so to speak. All right? That's what we notice what Jesus is the word he uses here. Now it appears that the Lord Jesus is pushing this woman away by his answer. Okay? It looks like Jesus is not giving this woman any hope, right? The response of the Lord to this Greek woman's request on the surface appears to the disciples and to us as we read this that the Lord Jesus is somewhat harsh to this Greek woman. I mean, where's the compassion, Jesus? She's at your feet. Okay? Right? Understand that the Son of God, Christ the Lord, knows this Greek woman's heart. And His response is not for the purpose of discouraging her, but King Jesus is actually setting her up to display her faith before His disciples. And this is going to be a great lesson of faith for His Jewish disciples. Keep reading, verse 28. And she answered and said unto Him, Yes, Lord, Yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Here this Greek woman instinctively agreed with the Lord Jesus against herself. She is agreeing with the Lord Jesus that this is her situation. Even though there's nothing left on the table to eat after the children, the puppy dogs still have the privilege of eating the crumbs on the ground. Translation. Yes, Lord, true Lord, as you feed your children even the smallest crumb of mercy by the power of your word is all that I need for my daughter. Just the slightest word and you will release my daughter from this demon. Keep reading, verse 29 and 30. And he said unto her, For this saying, go thy way. The daughter is gone out of thy daughter. Hmm? What? The devil, the devil is gone out of the daughter. Now, we ain't giving any glory to no devil. All glory goes to King Jesus. By a word, he spoke. She wasn't around. She didn't need, he didn't need to hold her hand. By a word, he spoke. He spoke. Verse 30, And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. Now, how amazing is that? Think about it. Stop meditating. How amazing is that? Seriously. Come on. Now understand, this is Mark's snapshot. You've got to understand the book, the Gospel of Mark. We studied that a few years back, but it's always quick, quick, quick. It's like snapshots of Jesus. And, and he uses the word immediately, straightway, and again, over and over, because Mark is really quick showing you the ministry of the Lord Jesus and some of these other Gospels fill in and that's what we're going to see. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew fills in some of the howevers in this narrative that Mark leaves out. Now understand, what Mark recorded is true. Okay, it's true. But Matthew records this event from an eyewitness looking back 
And so he records this event from the eternal purpose of God. What am I saying? I'm saying Mark is recording it. This is how the, his disciples viewed what was going on because they were in the moment, real time. Matthew, he records it as an eyewitness, but also he records it from an eternal view of God's purpose. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Here in Matthew's account, we have the same place, Tyre and Sidon, the same woman, but Matthew calls her a woman of Cana. Once again, describing that this woman was not of Hebrew blood, nor Jewish in any way. Now in verse 22, this woman of Cana, a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nationality, is crying out to the Lord Jesus, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Now remember back in Mark 7.25 that we just read, that it says that this Greek woman heard of him, right? Okay, well this is what she heard. She heard that Jesus of Nazareth, He's Lord. He's the Son of God. Do you see that? Now, what does all that mean? Okay. Well, the word Lord is the Greek word kurios. I'll let you Greek scholars handle all that, but just look it up in Strong's Concordance. That's what I do. I use my cheat sheet called Strong's. Okay. And it has to do with supreme authority. And many times it's translated in our English as Lord, God, Master, or Sir. Lord is a respectful title of supremacy, or we would say sovereignty, okay? So this Greek woman is acknowledging the supremacy, the sovereignty of this Jewish man, Jesus, as Lord. But it goes much higher than that because she also calls him the son of David. That is a title of royalty. Not just any kind of royalty, but it has to do with the promised one who was to come through the seed of King David. One who would be anointed by God Almighty Himself to sit on the throne of God forever. So the title, Son of David, refers to the messianic kingship. All right? The royal rule of the promised one, the anointed one. And this Greek woman is saying, You're the man. You're the man. You are the one. You are the anointed one. You're the one that not just the Jews have been waiting for, but all the world has been waiting for. You're the man. You are the son of David. Therefore, she knows who Jesus really is. He is Lord. He's the son of David. Therefore, she cries out for mercy, for pity, for compassion for her and her daughter. Now, here in Matthew's account, Jesus at first does not answer her. Look at the first part, listen to me, the first part of verse 23. But He answered her not a word. Didn't acknowledge her. It's kind of shocking, isn't it? Huh? Mark leaves this out, and the reason, I believe, is because the Lord is silent toward her awaiting the disciples' response. You see, the picture here 
is this non-Jewish woman crying out over and over, Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. Have mercy on me and my daughter. She's grievously vexed with the devil. Have mercy on me. The point is that she was relentlessly calling out over and over, and it was getting on the nerves of the disciples. And guess what the disciples start doing? They start begging Jesus. What? Verse 23. Let's read the whole thing. But He answered her not a word, and His disciples came and besought Him, begged Him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. Do you get the picture? She's begging the Lord Jesus over and over, and the disciples are so irritated with this Greek woman that they start begging the Lord to send her away for she cries after us. Wait a minute, Peter, James, John, Andrew, and the rest of the disciples, for she cries after us. It sounds like she's crying to the Lord, the son of David, to Jesus, not to the us. Do you see how easily pride, pride can slip in to the heart? Even though the Lord Jesus was allowing His disciples to enter into His ministry, to teach them how to minister it to them in their high-mindedness, they got into it so much that it became about us instead of about Him. Somebody amen me. Verse 24, 25, But He answered and said, I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat, it's not fit, it's not proper, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the little dogs. Once again, the Lord Jesus knows this Greek woman's heart, and he is setting the stage for her faith to shine before his Jewish disciples who want him to send this Greek woman, this Gentile way. Verse 27 and 28. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. In verse 28, Matthew lets us know that the Lord Jesus described her faith as great. O woman, great is thy faith. Do you remember when we read back in Mark how this Greek woman heard of Him, right? We're never, as I said, we never told the when, the where of her faith, the how of her faith, but we are told of the who of her faith. And that's the significance the point is that regardless of the when, the where, the how, the one thing we know is that she has the right object of faith. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the royal Messiah. And that is why the Son of David, the Lord, proclaimed to this Greek woman and also, don't miss this, and also in the ears of His Jewish disciples, O woman, great is thy faith. Now understand, the greatness of this Greek woman's faith had nothing to do with the amount as it does her being captivated 
You captivated by Christ? Captivated by the greatness of her object, who is Jesus Christ. Once again, she sees Him who is worthy. She falls at His feet and worships Him. Has Christ captivated your heart? Is Jesus Christ your sole object of faith this morning? Are you adding something to Jesus? Christ alone. Christ alone. Only one other time does the Lord Jesus give the testimony of someone having great faith. And that was in Matthew chapter 8 where the Roman centurion came to Jesus Christ asking Him to heal a servant. You remember that? And the Lord said that He would come and heal a servant. But the Roman centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy that You should come under my roof. Just say the word, speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. When Jesus heard that, He marveled and said to them that followed Him, this Jewish crowd, He said this, listen, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. What did this Roman centurion and this Greek woman both have in common? They were both outside national Israel. They were Gentiles, no Hebrew blood, okay? Yet they humbled themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, asking for mercy. And He declared their great faith, and granted what? Mercy. You ask Him for mercy, He will grant you mercy. Now if you play and know the right words to say because you've been around the Scriptures, you've been around church, you know this is supposed to be the response, He knows your heart. Mercy ain't granted there. The man in the temple, the publican, right here. God be merciful to me, the sinner. Huh? Let me ask you, have you come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, asking for mercy? Or did you just walk an aisle when some preacher started begging you? Have you come to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, asking for mercy? Or did you just get wet when some preacher dunked you at a baptismal service? Let's be real. we got to stand before God Almighty, folks. One heartbeat, one blink away, there we are in front of Him. Okay? Let's be real. Truly. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm serious. This is about heaven and earth. Life or death. Okay? Seriously. Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ as your King and Savior? How Christ lived without sin what He did on the cross, paying the sin penalty, purchasing righteousness, destroying the works of the devil, defeating death at death's own game, rising from the dead on the third day, and victoriously seated in heaven on the right hand of the throne of God. Do you embrace Him and all that He did for your eternal life? He did it all. All to Him I owe. Now for the remainder of our time, I want to show you God's heart. Huh? I'm going to get excited. <laughs> I, want you to I want to show you God's heart toward you. Now I don't have an outline. I don't have three points. I don't have an acrostic to remember. and All those things are wonderful. I'm just uh, a boy from Kentucky, okay? 
I'm the runt of the litter. My mama had five children. I was the last one. Born with certain types of difficulties and, and issues. And I was not supposed to live 18 hours. Bless God, I'm here 53 years. And I give Him the glory. And therefore, I am to use what He has given me to share it unto you, to let you know how great He is, not anything about me. I want you to understand, I'm not standing here like I got it all on, in control, okay? That I got it all figured out. I am the opposite. I am here as a spectacle to show you that I don't have it all together. I don't. I bleed just like you do. But there is a God in heaven who rules and reigns and He shows sovereign grace and sovereign mercy and He has made me an object of His mercy. And you too, if you call upon Him for mercy. There's no difference between us. Don't ever let a piece of wood put a difference between you and the man who speaks. Yes, pray for that man. Lift up these elders I've said under these elders, you are so highly blessed, church, that God has given you. Did you hear how I said that? God has given you the men that you sat under. Oh, dear so, I want us to see. Get your fingers ready or write these scriptures down. But I want us to see some things in this that is so wonderful. First notice at the end of Matthew 15, 21, it says that Jesus departed into the coast, or the region, the border of Tyre and Sidon. The question I asked myself as I was going through this, and, and Martina and I was going through this in our morning devotion together, is like, where was Jesus before He went to Tyre and Sidon? I mean, where was He and His disciples before, and what was going on? Well, if you look back to chapter 14, verse 34, we read that they came into the land of Gennesaret. Now, this was a small region of Galilee located on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee, somewhere around Capernaum. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is sometimes referred to as the Lake of Gennesaret. So Christ is at Gennesaret. Now, what's going on there? Well, because of time, I'll fill this in for you. You can read it for yourself later. At the end of chapter 14, into chapter 15, we read of many healings, of Christ preaching the kingdom of God in the face of the hypocritical Pharisees, and there Christ was also teaching the multitudes about the heart, and that those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. So we have the Lord Jesus and His disciples in a revival, so to speak, okay? Lots of people, right? Lots of healing, lots of truth. Then Christ leaves. He leaves. Yeah, He leaves. He leaves Gennesaret and goes to an area called Tyre and Sidon. And from all accounts, Christ meets this one woman. One, that's it, one when there's no multitudes of people, there's no synagogues, there's no scribes, no Pharisees. There is basically a rocky mountainous area. And he's there for one woman. Let's read Matthew 15, 21 and following. Then Jesus went thence 
and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. Now, not only were the disciples irritated, as I said a moment ago, but they started begging the Lord Jesus to send her away because she's not Jewish also. How do I know? Well, if you read in Matthew chapter 15, we see the mindset of the disciples. When King Jesus first called His disciples to go out and preach the kingdom and heal and, and all of that, remember that, He specifically commanded them in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 and 6, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and not into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather, listen to this, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So do you see the mindset of the disciples here? No, Gentiles, Samaritans, you had us, Lord, to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Send her away. Send her away. She's not like us. Do you see that? She's not Jewish. And dear soul, we have the same thing going on in our world today. It's called political correctness and cancel culture. Send her away. Send them away. My friend, do you not understand that political correctness is the attempt to seek justice without God? Wokeness is the attempt to have awareness without God. Gender fluidity is the attempt to seek identity without God. Cancel culture is executing punishment without God. My friends, I could get loud and preachy right here, but seriously. God views political correctness as lawlessness. Wokeness as wickedness. Gender fluidity as iniquity. And all cancel culture is the monster of unforgiveness. I follow Christ and He tells me to love. I don't need anything legislated to tell me how to love. The King of love. God is love. And I follow Him. And He tells me to even love my enemies who tries to cancel culture me. I'm going to love you. I'm going to pray for you. And you understand, you understand what that kind of love is. It isn't a syrupy kind of love. It is a love that you desire good for that person. You pray for those who persecute you. You bless those who curse you. That's what that kind of love is. It's a sacrificial love. And dear so, all of this political correctness and the, the, whatever you want to call it, it is the spirit of Antichrist that has permeated our world. Has Christ captivated your heart? Hmm? Keep reading. Send her away, send her away. Verse 24. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, we've got a problem. Or do we? 
Christ commanded His disciples not to go to the Gentiles, but only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, this woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nationality, and Jesus is dealing with her. Now, is Christ contradicting His command? Now, many times verse 24 is taught that Jesus is speaking to the Greek woman, telling her that I'm not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So don't bother me, okay? But that's not right. Read the context and you will see that Christ is answering His disciples. The reason is because there's a great lesson for them. Now, let's break this down. We know that Jesus, the Son of God, always was obedient to the Father's will and to the Father's Word. Can I get an amen? amen? Was He? I mean, did He like all of a sudden entire inside and decide, well, I'm going to kind of show a little mercy to this Greek woman and it might not be my Father's will? No! He was there on purpose, folks. Huh? So what is Christ doing entire inside and He's doing the will of His Father. He's doing the will of His Father. In John chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, Christ said, As my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And I always do those things that please Him. So, what is the Lord Jesus doing here? He's doing the Father's will. Now the word tire, you can look it up in the dictionary, means rock. Okay? He's kind of in a rocky mountainous area. Sidon means fishery, like fish, you know, fish, fishery, okay? Now, the Lord Jesus answered His disciples as they were asking Him to send her away, okay, with, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, verse 24. Don't you get it, boys? I'm not trying to hide myself. I'm not sending her away. The Father hath sent me to travel over 20 miles in this rocky, mountainous region away from the Jewish multitude to fish for one little Greek woman. Huh? A Syrophoenician by nationality. To teach you disciples, boys, don't you get it, her great faith. And the reason I showed her mercy is because she is a lost sheep. Don't you get it, boys? And not only that, watch it, be careful. She is a lost sheep that belongs to the house of Israel. Praise the Lord. Don't you remember John the Baptist? spoke to the Pharisees and Sadducees saying that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. This Greek woman of Tyre, rock, side and fishery, shows what forth the faith of Abraham. And great is her faith. Read Romans chapter 4. Huh? You disciples think she's a Gentile dog. I called her a puppy dog for her to demonstrate her faith to you Jews. And she is neither kind of dog, but this Greek woman was a lost sheep. Now she's found. I'm not hiding myself. I am sent to the Father, sent by the Father to leave the multitude, to leave the 99. And what? Go and search for this one lost sheep. 
over 20 miles away, and I'm doing it away from everything that is Jewish to teach you that a Jew is not one outwardly, but one inwardly. Turn to Romans chapter 2. You know this one. Romans chapter 2. Dear soul, if you are in a saving relationship with King Jesus, God our Savior, it's because He first sought you. We love Him because He first loved us. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost in order to do a heart operation, okay? And bring us into the final fulfillment of the house of Israel as spiritual Jews. You in Romans chapter 2? Bobbleheads? Yes? No? Come on. Don't, don't leave me out here by myself. Okay? Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, it says, For he is not a Jew. What? 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 He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. 29, watch it. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Glory to God. Now, as Christians, we all can say amen to this. I may be treading on thin ice here for just a moment, yet God be glorified. We say amen to these things. We read in the Scriptures the things about salvation soteriology, okay? Things about salvation. But for some reason, when we go over here into an area called end times and eschatology, we leave the basics of salvation and the things that we've understood about the gospel, and now all of a sudden, a Jew's not a Jew anymore. Something's different. Now, I'm not being anti-Semitic. These are the words of a former rabbi. You're going to point fingers? He pointed fingers at Saul of Tarsus. This is what he wrote, folks. Not me. And, my, and my, my point is this, dear friend. We've had men who have divided epics of time into what's called dispensations. Okay? And my friend, I speak kindly and not out of controversy. Search it for yourself. I beg you, search it for yourself. Recently, I spoke to a dear saint of God who has gone through the spiritual battles and he is very dispensationalist. And he pushes this end time view up on me quite often. He tells me that the end times is all about the nation of Israel. All about the physical Jews and the Jewish nation has something more special than the church. Now I don't debate with him because my question to him is the same each time. And it is this. What does God's Word say? Who is a Jew? It's right here. You tell me who a Jew is. Okay? When a person really embraces that the true Jewishness is spiritual. Isn't that what he just said? Huh? It's in the circumcision of the heart and in the spirit. When someone does that, Dispensationalism collapses. Now, I also ask this dear saint, 
when you hear the word dispensation, what do you think of? And he answered to me, time division. Time division. Okay? Seven dispensations broken up in time. I said to him, the word dispensation is only used four times in the Bible. Okay? And not one time does it mean or refer to as a time division. Not one time. The word dispensation has to do with stewardship within a household. In fact, you can trace the word translated dispensation in our English back to the New Testament Greek word that means house. Okay? Now, I shared all of that for this point. Hang in there with me. Okay? I'm not beating up on it. I shared all this for one point. When the Lord Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel, that's the same root word by which we get dispensation. It's a house. It's not a time differential. And there's so... Uh, you got to see this. It has nothing... Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Dispensationalism wrongly defines the word dispensation. And the teaching of it divides it, like I said, into seven epics of time. However, the Bible only divides itself twice. Old Testament, New Testament. That blew your mind, didn't it? Right? Huh? Wow! Don't take the words and systems of men and push them into the Scriptures. Let the Word of God unfold itself. And you can't criticize me because I hold to no end-time view at all. None whatsoever. I look at the Scriptures and however it unfolds, that's the way I'm going to look at it. And you know what? I'm wrong in a lot of areas, and I'm on my knees. Lord, show me where I'm wrong. But the thing about it here is you need to see and the Lord Jesus is going about the Father's will, being sent to this one Greek woman to show that she is of the house of Israel by simple faith in Him. And the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. You're in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 11 and following. Wherefore remember that you being in time past Gentiles, time past heathens, in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, and in the flesh made by hands, watch this, verse 12, that at that time ye were, past or present, were. Hello? Past or present? Past. Were without Christ. Being aliens from what? The commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope, and without God. What do we learn in verse 12? Verse 12, you're without Christ, you're without God, you're aliens, you weren't in the commonwealth of Israel with the promises, okay? Verse 13, watch it. But now, <laughs> but now, in, in who? Christ Jesus. You who were sometimes afar off are made nigh, made near. How? By the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Dear so, this false idea of dividing human history into seven dispensations is actually dividing what God has put together in one, in Christ. In Christ. Keep reading. 
He's our peace. Verse 14, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of two twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both, both who Jew and Greek, okay, circumcised and uncircumcised by nature, unto God in one body, by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, you Greek woman over in Tyre and Sidon. Here he came and he preached to you who were far off, and to them that were not. Who's that's the Jews that was around, right? Verse 18, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Watch verse 19. And what? Now... Therefore, you are present right now. Are no more strangers and foreigners. That's the same language back in verse 12 when he says that you're strangers from the covenant of promise. Verse 19, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. Household, same word, root word, which comes what? Dispensation. Household of God which is what? The commonwealth of Israel. You go through Ephesians chapter 2 and you start circling everything in Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3 of how the church is described. And one of them right here is the commonwealth of Israel. The church of the living God. And dear soul, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your skin color, your social status, if you're a believer here this morning and you called upon Christ for mercy and He has shown you mercy, the Holy Spirit of Christ sent for you. He has captivated you. He has circumcised your heart so that you will have a full inheritance with Him in the kingdom of God, the commonwealth of Israel, the heavenly Jerusalem wherein dwells righteousness. Huh? That makes me happy. And dear so, I'm not being anti-Semitic. You know why? Because I'm a Jew. Spiritual Jew. Spiritual. And dear so, I want you to understand, people talk about the book of Revelation and, and all of these different things. I want you to understand, you can look at Revelation 19.10 when you go home, but the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Be careful what you're watching on your on your TBNs and everything else that pull you away from Christ. I'm here to tell you how wonderful your husband is. How precious your husband is. What he has done for you. Oh, dear so. I know we like Mephibosheth sometimes before King David. He says, what is thy servant that you should look upon a dead dog as I am? Yet King David sent for Mephibosheth on purpose so that he would eat at the king's table as one of the king's sons. And so it is with the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David, the king of the kingdom of God. He sent his spirit for us so that we would not be found as little dogs under a table, that we would no longer be lost Sheep, but he sent for us to eat at the king of kings' table as one of the king's children. That's who you are. And Jesus Christ purchased that for you. For you. Luke chapter 22, verse 29 and 30. 
Jesus said, I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Some say the Gentiles came in by Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Others say, no, Gentiles came in when Peter preached at Cornelius' house. Well, I say the Gentiles came in when Christ was sent for them. If you don't believe me, ask this Syrophoenician lady. She'll tell you all about it. Huh? And it has come to my attention, dear soul, and that God, as God works on me, I pray that He works on you. That as important as theology and Bible doctrine is, I have come to see that with all our theology, to learn more about God, and we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. We need to have our, uh, our understanding and study these things. Yes, I understand. I'm not against that. But what I'm saying, we must be careful not to make God out to be someone to be studied systematically and miss the fact that God is a person to be loved. Last scripture, I'd like for you to turn here, Romans chapter 10. Aren't you grateful that God does not love us like we love Him? Marinate in that for a while. I close with this. And I thank you for this privilege to share Christ with you. And as we're dismissed, I also want you to be reminded that we're being real and there's a danger here. The danger is that the enemy will go to work immediately to take the word out of your heart and fill my heart with pride. You see, the word is so good, you just can't get over it. And sometimes you get like the disciples, it becomes an us thing instead of a him thing. Huh? So, as we're polite with one another, as we talk after service and after we leave, may we depart as God's people of praise. Let's give Him all the glory. Let's give Him all... You see... Oh... I'm a donkey. God can speak through a donkey like He did to Balaam. Hey, praise the Lord. The Lord used me. And I hope you hear Christ. Christ, 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 and Christ alone. Romans chapter 10. Take this with you. Verse 10. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness... And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Watch it, verse 12. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. That sums up what I've been trying to say this morning.
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let us go to the Lord in prayer as we close out and protect one another from ourselves. Holy Father, we just thank you for this privilege. We thank you for your word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that it would not fall by the wayside, and that each one here, myself included, would draw closer in intimacy with you and that we would be real and genuine before you. Take away any facade that we have before you, Lord, for we can foolishly think that we can hide things from you. Adam and Eve couldn't. Forgive us of our sins where we have made you small. You are the big God, the almighty God, the great God. O Holy Father, send your Spirit to work in us. We need your help. Use this word. Glorify yourself. We also pray for Pastor Bill and Sister Lynn. Please bring them back safely, Lord, and all that they do. I lift up before you, Lord, the elders and the deacons of Grace Church. You know this church is dear to our heart and we lift them up before you and all who work and all who labor in the kingdom. And I pray, Father, that you would send forth laborers into your harvest and that you would save many, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we ask these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.